you amazing people. It's so good to be here. It's so stinking good to be here. I'm really, really, yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful, I'm glad, I'm, my heart is full. What can I say? This is really tall. Maybe I can do that. I don't know if I can do that. I don't want to break this. Um, well, uh, welcome. Welcome all of you. All of you. Look at y'all. Y'all showed up. We kind of filled in. And I recognize a lot of faces, and I see some new faces. And um, I, wanna, I just want to name right off the bat uh, that no matter who you are, where you're from. And so, some of you, I know, we're, well, we got all sorts of different people in here. We got, of course, um, we've got um, rich and poor. We've got uh, black and white and brown. We, we have um, a sinner and saint or... Some, maybe something like that. We've got gay and straight. We've got, I mean, we've got all, you know, all the things, all the binaries. And I just want you to know, like, at the end of the day, I love there's a, a quote from one of the writers of the Bible, Paul, where he says, in Christ, all that is broken down and done away with, right? Not in the sense of, you know, eliminate things that are important to you and not in that sense, right? Not in a weird sense of shun who you are, not that, but in a unifying way where, where we become so defined by things, and labels, and you're this, and you're that, and you, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, but can't you see, like, me? Like, me. Right? Hey, hi, I'm Brett, you know, and you're who I, like, right? And that's what this is about, is coming together and, um, and sort of transcending that, in, but including it. There's a, a philosopher who talks about transcend, but include, right? So it's not a moving away, not a leaving behind, you know, pretending, oh, I'm not, not those things. Like, well, you know, we are, but it's, uh, but it's I'm taking that with me, and then I'm connecting, you know, with my true self. That's something beautiful about that. And so I'm just grateful. Yeah, so, so grateful uh, to be here. So my name is Brett, and uh, I'm the pastor here. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really glad to be here with all of you. Uh, for those who know our story, I won't go into it tonight, but whoo, what a journey. Uh, a good journey, though. Good. Because it's brought us here. And that's a beautiful thing. So um, let's see. So the title of my message uh, this, this evening uh, is seers. I know that's a weird word. Seers, S-E-E-R-S. And uh, it comes from a little, a word that's uh, in our, kind of we call it like our mission or vision statement, whatever you want to call it. But it, it says that the table, this church, the table exists to shift a generation from reactionary to visionary through the person and work of Jesus. That's what we're about. Uh, so reactionary, of course, I won't go into that so much tonight, but that would be, I mean, we've all been there, that reactionary place that, uh, it could be anger. It could be, um, just a sense of frustration. It, it could be fear. It, it even could be sort of passivity, right? Even someone who's like, look, I give up. I check out. I'm done, right? Can still be kind of in a reactionary place, right? So re- we want to shift from that, from reactionary to visionary the person and work of Jesus. And so I want to focus tonight on that word visionary. Like, what does that, what does that mean? You know, vision, visionary is like a, we want us to see something or, you know, what's the thing? So that's, uh, that's where we'll be kind of focused tonight. Now, I want to start with a reading. This is from Isaiah. It won't make sense right at first, but um, if I do this right, it will by the end. Uh, and so we're going to read, this is from uh, Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses one through five. Isaiah was a prophet uh, and he writes these words, um, comfort, Comfort my people, says your God. 
speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. In this next part, you'll probably recognize, uh, because Martin Luther King Jr. loved this passage, and so he would always quote it. He says, make... uh, Make the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. Can you hear him saying it? Can you you remember? Yeah. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's a a poetic, that's powerful. Powerful imagery. We'll unpack some of that. Uh, later. But before we jump in, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we just, we thank you. We thank you for this moment. We thank you uh, for your goodness that's brought us here. And um, yeah, I'm just grateful. Really, really grateful. My heart is full. And so I thank you for every person here. God, would you give them eyes to see your truth, um, hearts that are open to it, uh, and uh, feet that are quick to respond in obedience. It's in the changing name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. So you'll remember uh, the movie, The Lion King. I am presuming most have seen Lion King. Yes? Okay, I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of, yes, you know, that's what I've seen a lot of. Of course, right, so maybe there's like three people who are like, you know, but that's okay. I'll give you a quick little, just a little run. It's, it's, it's basically, it's a coming of age story, right? It's about a lion. Um, <laughs> the Lion King. Coming of age story, right? It's sort of the hero's journey kind of thing, uh, where he's got to step up. His father has passed away, the former king, and now he's got a, you know, Simba is his name. He's got a. So, um, but there's this key moment in it uh, where the great seer, the baboon, you remember him? Rafiki. He's got that cool accent. And uh, he is, I mean, really his role uh, is really to, I mean, he's, yeah, he's a seer. He, he names what's up. He sees what others miss. And so he can tell that Simba is just, he's lost it, man. Like, yeah, he's just, he's wandering around aimlessly, hopelessly. It's like a third of the movie is him just kind of like, oh, you know, he's basically just avoiding his life and call and responsibility, right? It's like, he knows what he needs to do, but he's depressed. And he's sad. I mean, definitely reactionary. That'd be right. Just in a reactionary place. He's angry. He's, he's just feeling all the feelings. And so, what does he say? There's this key, key moment where he he knows. He basically he realizes that Simba has forgotten who he is, right? And so he looks at Simba and he uh, says, "Come over here, and I, I want you to look into this pool. It's this kind of pool of water." And he says, "When you do, you." will see your father. Now, this is a key moment because, of course, like I mentioned, his father's passed away. Uh, but in many ways, his father really represents his future, his call, right? Who he's called to become, right? His father was king. He's supposed to step up. He's not, right? So he says, you look, in, look into the water and you will see your father. And then Simba, if, if you've seen the movie, you, you remember he's so depressed and he, he looks in the water. I mean, you could just hear in his voice. Like, there's disappointment in his voice. There's just a sense of dejection and depression on his face. He looks into the pool, and he says, That's not my father. 
It's just my reflection. That's what he says. Just my reflection. You see, Rafiki could see. He's a seer. Simba, at that moment, could not see. He, he, he was, what, what was happening? I mean, he could see without seeing, right? Even Jesus talked about this. You, you see, like he, he would often say, like, he, uh, he who has ears to hear is how the metaphor Jesus used. You got ears to hear, then hear, right? And sort of like, well, everyone has ears, just like everyone has eyes, right? Like, we can see, but sometimes you can see without seeing, right? And this is what was happening to Simba. He's there, and he can't, I mean, it's right in front of him, but he can't see it. In other words, he, he, he could see, but without understanding, Right, he was in the words of uh, that movie. I really like this movie. It grew on me, um, Anchorman, uh, <laughs> where he says, or he's real emotional. He's like, "I'm in a glass case of emotion." You remember that moment? Is it tube or case? I think it's case. Yeah. Okay, I got it. I got it. I should have. I shouldn't have second guessed myself. Uh, right. So and so, what's he saying? Right. He's saying like, "I'm all I can feel is what I'm feeling." Right. This is my reality, and this is what happens when we get in that reactionary place. Right. It's like we can't see beyond the end of our nose. Right? We're, we're not, we are not thinking clearly, not seeing clearly, right? And this is what had happened to Simba. All he could see was his circumstances. All he could feel is the mess and the war going on inside him. And because of this, he could not see the truth. And this, I want to contend, is precisely the state of our culture. We are Simba. We are in a glass case of emotion. We are feeling all the feelings. We are, and we're feeling all over the place, right? Maybe some, a little bit of depression, maybe some rage, maybe, you know, just a mixture of, um, of grief, you know, whatever you're going through. And this could be because of sort of meta, right? Big picture because of cultural things going on, or it could just be micro, right? Sort of macro, micro, just your world. Maybe it's just your life, like, it's just a mess, right? And you feel that, and what happens, we, we can't, we can no longer see um, but there are people in the Bible, they were known as, we know them as prophets. Their early name was seers. So they were called seers. And these are folks like, uh, they have all the interesting names, you know, um, Haggai, Malachi, we read one, Isaiah. Uh, and, and these folks were seers. Now, I'm honest, for many years, I pretty much avoided the prophets. Uh, just, I mean, I'd kind of read them, like I'd kind of try to read through the Bible and kind of, you know, I'd hurry through. Because honestly, I, I just didn't get like there, I mean, I guess for one thing, I, in my imagination, the, the prophets were about the future. Only it was a future that happened 2,000 years ago. So it was kind of like, uh, I don't know, it just doesn't seem very relevant, you know? Uh, kind of like hearing the punchline of a joke you've already heard. And so I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't get it. And then I came across the work. I'm so grateful. All of you should read this guy. If you're a reader of books, you might, he might be a little boring, but I think he's fantastic. His name's Walter Brueggemann. And he completely changed my perspective on the prophets. And this is what he, he named. He named two things. He said, first off, most people think the prophets are all about the future, right? They're just, they're kind of like fortune tellers. Like, let me tell you, in 30 days, in 60 days, in 30 years, you know, and then whatever. And he said, I mean, yeah, it's true. They're kind of about that. But, he, but this is the insight. He said, the prophets really only cared about the future to the degree that it spoke a word to the present, and he said, for example, they would describe a, a more beautiful, a more just, a more humane world. And then they would use that to speak a word of critique back to the present. And I was like, oh, yeah, did never see that. But as you read the text, it's, I mean, it's all over the place. Uh, so that was the first thing. The second thing um, 
was he named that the, that the prophets were poets and artists. And again, I'd never thought of this, but if you actually read those books, right, even the passage we read in Isaiah 40, right, every valley be lifted up and every, it's full of metaphors. And I mean, these guys were poets. Uh, and even more than that, they weren't sort of, I don't know, like precious moments poets, you know, like church poets, you know, Christian, you know, sweet things. These guys were like wild-eyed maniacs. Um, I mean, if you've read like the, the opening chapter of Ezekiel, uh, I mean, it's like the guy, either he's like tuned into God and seen something amazing or he's on LSD. Like it's pretty much one or the other. Um, uh, and then you have Isaiah. Now, again, we read that passage from Isaiah. That was very, I mean, it was, you know, it was sort of poetic and, and beautiful and inspiring, um, but we wouldn't necessarily think like, whoa, edgy, you know? I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, it's a little bit Christian language, kind of, you know, Bible language. Um, but you, you underestimate Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah, if he were here, everyone's jaw would be on the floor. Uh, here's, here's why. There's a passage. It's just an example. It has nothing to do with my sermon. Just a quick example. We'll snip it. Isaiah chapter 20, verse uh, 2 and 3. Uh, it says this, In the year when King Sargon of Assyria sent his commander-in-chief to capture the Philistine, Philistine city of Ashdod, the Lord told Isaiah, son of Amos, Take off, your, or off the burlap you have been wearing and remove your sandals. Isaiah did as he was told and walked around naked and barefoot. Now, you're thinking, okay, that's weird. But he probably did that for like 15 minutes, right? Verse three. <laughs> then the Lord said, my servant Isaiah has been walking around naked and barefoot for the last three years. This is a sign, a symbol of the terrible troubles I will bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia. Now, what is that? I don't have categories for that, right? I mean, imagine if someone walked through these doors and they're sitting, they're sitting next to you. <laughs> and like, what is going on? And they're like, I am a seer <laughs> and I am a walking sign, like a symbol. Uh, now, what was it? This is, again, either Isaiah is completely out to, or he's seen something. And actually, he was, this is really, in modern times, we call this performance art, right? Like where someone does something, you're like, oh my gosh, they did what? Right? But, but what's the point? The point is that their very body becomes the artwork, right? Becomes the, the word, becomes the communication. And that's what he's doing. I mean, in the crazy, I do not have like the courage to do, but he did. Right? And, and, and by the way, what was he communicating? What Isaiah the seer, what he saw, what he named, what he discerned was that his, his people, the Jewish people, uh, were relying too much on their ally Egypt. They were, they were relying, that's why that's the ending, right? On the, the city of, uh, uh, um, yeah, I will bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia, right? So he's naming, these are the allies. And, and the Jewish folks were relying on them. Like they're strong, we're gonna be safe because of that. And he's saying, you're not relying on God. And so what he does, he becomes a living, breathing, walking, talking sign, a, a symbol, a work of performance art, and what's, he, what's it saying? What's it communicating? He's saying, look, if you don't change, start relying on God, what's going to go on? You're, you, first your allies, then you are going to end up like me. Yes, someone said it, exposed, right? It's a powerful word. Now, I go into that, take the time to name that, just because I want you to have that context 
of, of Isaiah and the prophets, not as these, uh, I don't know, kind of that churchy, you know, oh, they're in the Bible, his name's in the Bible, he's, a, you know, a good church-going fellow. It's like, no, the, these folks, what, what, what are they doing? They're, they're pushing the boundaries of acceptability. They're, they're, um, they're speaking a word that people do not want to hear, cannot hear. And, and furthermore, a word that we couldn't even speak to ourselves. Right? They're seeing things that we can't see. Right? This is who the prophets are. This is who um, Isaiah is. This is what God's up to in him. Now, um, perhaps this makes you, that whole story of Isaiah, maybe that just, you know, like, this makes you hate the prophets. Like, you're just like, oh my gosh, what? I did not know that was in the Bible. I don't know how to think of that. Um, but honestly, at least for me, and I sense by the smiles, a few of you, like, I like it. I, I, I like it because it does, it, it changes the way I think of who God is. It changes the way I think of wild-eyed artist, prophet, seers like Isaiah, who ultimately would go on to change the world. Because in order to change the world, you have to see differently. You have to hear differently. You have to tune in to the things. And this is, this is a key insight. It, is, uh, it would be easy for us to say, well, that's very nice for them, those prophet people, you know. But the truth is, um, you well, let me frame it like this. What was unique about Isaiah at the end of the day was not that he was a spiritual genius and not even that he was a gifted poet, though he was. What was unique and what was key for Isaiah was that he was filled with God, filled, obsessed with God, tuned into God. And what I want to name is that you, brothers and sisters, have been created in the very image of God. And according to Joel chapter two, you are invited and have been filled with the spirit of God, which means you have the capacity to be a seer too. And what this world needs are seers. Seers. Not, not people so reactionary, not people who can't see beyond the end of their nose, but can see more deeply. Now, I want to make this a little concrete because I realize that can be kind of poetic and you're like, very inspiring. What? You know, <laughs> what do you want me to so let me, let me break this down a little bit. Here's just a few kind of just insights. Like what do I mean by seers? Here's what seers do. Seers see more deeply than other people. They discern what others miss. Have you ever been in a conversation, right? And when you're in a reactionary place, it's like your, your tuned inness to God is about nil. And usually what you say is not helpful, right? But, but have you ever been in a conversation where the other person is just a freaking out? And for whatever reason, maybe it's just God's grace, maybe just whatever, you're calm. And you're, you're sitting there. It's almost like you've got a little bit of distance, right? And you're kind of watching, but it's like you're tuned in. And all of a sudden, you're getting like insights, right? For the moment. Have you ever, anyone ever had this, this kind of experience? Like, yeah, I'm seeing the heads, right? Like, like we have these moments, right? Where either we, we sense something to say or we sense something not to say. And that can be key. <laughs> Right? We're tuned in, and this is what seers do, right? Is they, they see more deeply because it's so easy to react to the surface level content. Well, they said, you know, that thing, that made me angry, 
right? This is like with my children. I'm constantly dealing with this, right? Well, he said such and such, so therefore I can react, right? And it's like, no, we've got to learn to go a little, see deeper, see it deeper, right? And to realize, huh, maybe the issue's not the issue. Maybe that thing they're saying, this is all about, maybe that's really not what this is all about. Maybe they're afraid, right? This is what seers do. They see more deeply. They discern what others miss. They tune into what people pass right by. Well, are we going so quick in our culture? Quick, 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 right? I'm as guilty as anyone. We've got to slow it down, right? Why? So that, so that we can see, so that we can see. Um, this is, I think, a practical reason to like slow it down and take some quiet either in the morning or in the evening or both. And um, there's something powerful about that because we start to be able to tune in, right? Tuning in to what uh, others miss um, or tune into what others pass right by. Another one here, we hear what others plug their ears against. That's Isaiah, right? Speaking the hard word. <laughs> uh, but sometimes we have to hear the hard word, right? We've got to be able to receive it. Uh, or we feel uh, what people guard themselves from feeling. Oh, I hate that. But, but it's so key, right? To be a seer, we've got to be able to tune into those things. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. No, no, don't ap- never, ever apologize. If you're ever here and you have children, never apologize for their baby cries. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, now, here's what this means. Um, for us, is that seers are often doing the opposite of everyone else, right? I kind of think of culture as like the herd, right? And everyone's like freaked out and afraid and kind of like, oh, we're going over here. Oh, we're going over there, right? Anyone? Yeah. And, and so what happens when you become a seer is you zig when others zag, right? In other words, when the culture is like, hey, everything's fantastic. We love this. The status quo is wonderful and no one change, right? What do the seers do? They're like, uh, time to turn some tables, right? That's, that's a nod and you guys remember, some of you know the Jesus story of him flipping the temple tables, right? Uh, and that's right. And that's what the seers do. They mess it up, right? Oh, but on the other hand, right? It'd be easy to say, and that's what seers do. We're just Temple table flipping people, rah, you know. Uh, yeah, at times, yes. But at other times, what happens? The culture is the opposite. The culture is doom and gloom and despair and abandon hope, all ye who enter. Be afraid. Be very afraid. That's not, every time I turn on the news, be afraid, right? I just, I worry. I have um, good friends of mine who do a lot of news watching. I just worry for them, right? Because it's just this steady diet of, Whoa, be afraid, right? And so what do the seers do? They, they, they zig when others zag. They, they, everyone's going over here, they go over there. There's a beautiful example of this. We're back to Isaiah chapter 40. Beautiful example. Um, and, uh, it, and we actually, to get this, if you just read right through Isaiah, it'd be easy to miss. So Isaiah chapter 39, right before the passage, we read Isaiah 40. Um, but right before that, there's a hard stop. And the hard stop, here's what happens. Uh, there is a king, his name's Hezekiah, and he, he does a dumb thing, basically. Uh, there's a, a nation, an empire named Babylon. They live far away, though, so he's not worried about them. And they come, they send an envoy to him. They're like, real nice. 
And they're like, hey, show us. Do you have like nice things? And he's like, oh, do I ever have nice things? Let me show you. And so he literally like opens up the royal treasury, opens up everything, and shows them like all his fancy stuff. And this was dumb. Why? Because this was a land-hungry war machine, Babylon. And he didn't, he didn't see it. And so they leave. And Isaiah, the, the seer, the prophet, comes to Hezekiah and is like, bro, uh-uh. That was bad. You're a foolish man. You're a foolish man, he says. And in fact, your descendants will be carried off by those people. And fast forward a few decades, that's what happens. Babylon swoops in, I mean, puts thousands to the sword, carries the rest of the people off to Babylon. I mean, imagine the trauma if you're a nation and this happens to you. Right? Imagine, like, let's to kind of make it in our context. Like, let's say World War II. Right? Let's say Germany wins it and carries this whole room off to exile, and now we're living in Hamburg or whatever. I, is that a name? I think it's, is that a German thing? I probably should have thought this through before I started. Um, all right, and all over there, right? And we're like, that's not my home. And we're, and imagine, like, the years pass, and, right, I mean, what happens? Like, this is the context of Isaiah's moment. Um, so that's, that's how Isaiah 39 ends, is this prediction, and sure enough, it happens. And so by the time you get to Isaiah 40, literally decades and decades have passed between 39 and 40. And so who's Isaiah speaking to? He is speaking to a depressed, humiliated, beaten people. If, if you don't believe me, just read the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations. Those are their books where they're like, oh my God, what has happened? Who are we? I thought we were God's people. I thought God was for us. I thought God was on our side. Like what, they have no categories for what has happened. And they're depressed and humiliated and they are zigging. And what does Isaiah do? You remember how it begins? Isaiah chapter 40? What's the words? Comfort, comfort, comfort my people. And then what does he say? He, it's all that spatial metaphors. He's like, every valley is going to be raised up. Every mountain is going to be brought low. The, the rough and rocky places are going to be made a plain. What's he, what's he naming there? He's naming God is coming. God is happening in your midst. And what he's naming is remove every hindrance. Get ready. Get ready. Right? He's, what's he doing? He's speaking a word of hope and life to a people. I mean, imagine. There's, no, this is the, we just finished writing. We are sad, dude. And he's like, uh-uh, it's time. It's time. And then how does it end? I love the way verse 5, it closes with this, this hymn, this song of praise. What does he say? And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. In other words, God is going to happen in this community and all of you are going to see it, right? And they're like, what? But what's he doing? He's a seer. He's a seer. He sees what they cannot see. He hears what they cannot hear. He speaks a word they cannot speak to themselves. I love this quote. This is from Brueggemann again. He says this. He says, Isaiah knew. He knew about the pathos. That means like deep grief or sadness, deep feeling. Isaiah knew about the pathos of lamentations and the rage of the book of Job. Nevertheless, he goes beyond pathos and rage to speeches of hope, of doxology. That means a hymn of praise. And here's what I want to name. I think our culture, we know the deep sadness of lamentations. 
We know the despair and the hopelessness and the rage and anger of something like the book of Job. Like, don't believe me? Just go on Twitter, bro, right? Just turn on the news. Like, we've got that down cold. And, what the, and by the way, there's a place for that, right? There's a place for a season of sadness, of grief, of lament. Uh, like, there's a place for that. But we also have to be seers who can move beyond, who can transcend that and begin to speak a word of hope, a word of life, a word that God is up to something, that he's on our side and we are not abandoned. I just want to speak that over each of you. Like, I know that can be kind of meta. Like, I believe that for the culture, but I also believe it for each person sitting in these seats. Like, God has not given up on you. If you just come each week and I just say that, like, that would maybe be enough. Like, I just want you to know that. God has not given up on you. And, and, and what he's calling you to do is first to receive that for yourself and then to what? Go out and speak it to others. Right? This is what our world needs. We need seers. In other words, we must be able to shift from reactionary to visionary. So there's old Simba looking in that pool, all depressed, and, and he looks at it, and he, he says, that's not my father. That's just my reflection. And then do you remember what Rafiki says? The seer. He says it with that great, thick accent. Look harder. Do you remember it? I love that part. I don't know why. I love it so much. Look harder. And, and here's the thing. Some of you are facing circumstances where you're beat down and the word of God to you is look harder. And the world needs some folks who can go out into it. And when the world is naming, like, there is no hope, despair, look harder. When it's saying, be afraid, be very afraid, look harder. When you're sitting there with someone, they're like, my marriage, it's over, man. It is over, O-V-E-R, look harder. Or addiction, addiction, maybe it's got your number. You're like, dude, you have no idea. Look harder, look harder. Be a seer. This is what our world needs. Amen, amen. Here, I want you to go ahead and uh, bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want to, uh, I just want to pray this prayer um, over you. Uh, perhaps you've been in that place of just despair, discouragement, whether in your own life or maybe just a certain rage at the broader culture, like have you lost your collective mind? Uh, maybe you've been living though as a reactionary person rather than the poet, prophet, seer that God has called you to be, to become. If you're in that place, then this prayer is for you. God, help us to be seers. Help us to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Help us go into realms that others refuse to go, to see what others cannot see, to feel what they do not want to feel, to zig when others zag, to live in ways that others refuse 
to live, to embody a faithfulness to Christ that brings not only a certain judgment on the status quo, but hope in life, in possibility. I pray that every valley will be raised up and every mountain brought low in the life of each person sitting here today. It's in the life-changing name of Jesus that I pray.